The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with New York Times bestselling author, motivational speaker, and celebrity dentist, Dr. Bill Dorfman. I know you guys are used to our Meet the Mentor live. Well, guess what? It ain't going to be live, and we're not going to be in person. I can't socially distance enough. So the advantage is that this is going to give us the ability to bring in people that don't have to come to L.A. and diversify the content. And we're going to keep it up on IGTV on my channel for one day, and then it will go right into our podcast. So I'm super excited about this. And um, a little bit of bad news, you know, Leap was going to be July 19th to the 25th live at UCLA. It doesn't look like that's going to happen unless some miracle vaccine comes out. However, we will do some sort of a virtual program for live for LEAP this year. So keep tuned for that. And in the meantime, I have an amazing Meet the Mentor that I'm going to introduce you to. Let me read this quick little bio. Um, Peter Townton is a pioneer in the fitness industry. In 2003, he had a vision for Snap Fitness to create an affordable, 24-7, results-driven gym that differentiated from the impersonal, expensive, big-box experience that we were typically used to in the United States. Today, there are Snap Fitness franchises in over 2,500 locations in 26 countries and as the CEO of Lyft Brands, he didn't stop there. The Snap Fitness brand and their partners are uh, comprise the world's largest wellness franchise organizations with over 6,000 locations across multiple brands and countries serving 165 million workouts and counting. Um, for Peter, it comes down to one word, passion. He has it. He teaches it. And the results speak for themselves. Without further ado, I introduce you to Peter. Hey. How are you, Peter? Hey, I'm good, brother. Thank you for having me. And that's a that's a, that's a, a, a very lofty uh, introduction. So thank you for all those kind words. Well, you know what? It's well deserved. And um, I was reading up on you, and like me, you started working as a little kid. I, at six years old, I was pulling weeds in my neighborhood. And I just never stopped working from them. You were serving popcorn in front of your dad's store. Uh, where was this? In Wilmar, Minnesota. Wilmar, Minnesota, you got it. Yeah. yeah. So tell me about that and how you went from popcorn to fitness. Yeah. So just bringing you back, and that's a waste. But um, my, my father had a grocery store in our small town, and he had a small grocery store. And one thing, I'm the youngest of seven kids. I have an identical twin. And one thing my father said is, hey, look, we're going to do one of three things, Peter. We're either going to be in school, we're going to be in, we're going to be in sports, or you're going to be exercise, or you're, or you're going to be uh, working for me. So it was one of those three buckets. He said, you know, I'm going to keep you busy. I'm going to keep you out of trouble. That's how it was. And that was probably a good thing for me and, and my twin brother. So he gave me an opportunity to sell popcorn in front of his grocery store. And, you know, when I think today and I think back to some of the life lessons, number one, I appreciate that opportunity. I didn't at the time, but I certainly do today. I remember it brings me back to one of my one of my character building moments. I remember my father 
uh, walking past me and I'm sitting behind my popcorn stand as a little eight year old boy. And uh, he walks by, he gets about 40 feet past, he stops and he pivots, he turns around, comes straight towards me. And he stops in front of me and says, hey, son, how, is, how are sales today? And I said, well, dad, I'm a, it's a little bit slow. And I was going to start to go into this dissertation as to why it's slow. And he interrupts me. He goes, I'll tell you why it's slow. You got to get out from behind that counter and start approaching people and ask them if they'd like some popcorn. So I did. You know, I'm, I'm a quick learner. I got out from behind that stand. And, and, you know, as a little eight-year-old boy coming and pulling on your sleeve saying, hey, would you like some popcorn? It's freshly popped. I just made blah, blah, blah. Well, these people, they couldn't say no. Well, suddenly my sales doubled. And I realized very quickly that, you know what, if you want something, you better go get it. It's not coming to you. It's not going to fall in your lap. So that was a great life lesson for me. And like you, I started working at eight years old. I never stopped. And uh, um, I was introduced to a sport called racquetball when I was 13. So transitioning into from eight to 13, I started playing racquetball. And it was a sport for me, Bill, that just came really easy for me. Just sometimes you pick things up and you think, man, this is a sport that I can really, I was always athletic and make a long story short, I became a, a, a pro. I was a touring pro for 12 years, uh, my twin brother and I. And that's what introduced me to the health and wellness space. I had an opportunity to travel around the country looking at amazing health clubs. And the club that I was practicing in every day, that was a club that was struggling financially. And it was by five owners. And one day I was, I was ready. I was going to move down to Florida. And before I moved, I had breakfast with the owners. And I said, guys, I just felt compelled to do this. I'm going to be I'm moving to Orlando, but I need to tell you, the guy that you've got running your club, because keep in mind, this was a club that these guys were financially feeding 200000 a year, and they'd been doing it for the last five years. They'd been getting a steady diet of losing money. And I said, guys, he's, he's not your guy. The manager you have running your club, he's not your guy. And I'll tell you why. He's not engaged in the community. He's not engaged with the members. He's just not, he's not relevant. Um, you, you need to change. The first change you need to make needs to start right there. So I said some other things and I said, guys, good luck to you. I hope it works out. And I got in my car. I drove to Orlando. About a year and a half later, my phone rings and these guys say, Peter, would you like to, would you like to manage our club? And I said, sure. Right. Because racquetball was fun, but you couldn't make any, make any real money at it, Bill. It was just, it was, it was fun. I was young and it was, and it was exciting, but not a career by any means. And I came back and they said, Peter, we're going to pay you $16,000 a year, 16, one, six. So I don't know if that's poverty, but you can damn near see it from there. Right. So they, uh, my dad, uh, or I, so I came in and, and they said, look, if you turn this club around, we'll give you an opportunity to, to buy us out with the profits. So they probably thought it was a bit of a Hail Mary, to be honest with you. They probably thought right. I had no chance, but make a long story short, I was able to turn it around. And I tell you what, the first thing I did, Bill, was I had a staff meeting and I walked through the club and I, I, I got the staff together. I said, look, everybody show up tomorrow morning. We're going to clean this club. We're going to give it, do a deep clean from corner to corner. So I show up the next morning and the, and the, um, the staff is there. And before I get started, this woman steps forward. She says, Hey, Peter, uh, I just want to share something with you before we get started. And I said, okay, go ahead. What is that? She says, I want you to know that, that we don't clean. We don't clean. That was not part of, that was not what we were hired for. And we're not going to wow. clean. So that's a character building moment, right? You're going to do one of two things. You're either going to say, you know what? I appreciate that. You're right. Anyone who doesn't want to clean, you're free to go. Uh, and so I looked at it. I could either go that route or I could go the route that I chose, which is, and you also don't have a job, right? You also don't have a job. And I pointed to the door. 
Now, she ended up staying, but the message that it's cleaning (laughs) and cleaning and the message across that was shot across the bow to every one of my employees is, look, there's a new sheriff in town. But more importantly, today is going to be the first day of not not um, succumbing to being average, that we are no longer going to put forward an average product. We are going to lean in and we're going to clean this club. And we're going to and we're going to have passion in what we do that we're going to we're going to know the members by name. We're, we just change the entire protocol and look and feel of the business. But I think one of the things that that, you know, you tout as as a key component in your success is that you really felt like the entire industry, quote unquote, overthought fitness. You know, there was a lot of fat. There was a lot of, you know, things that you didn't need. and getting down to kind of the, the bare minimum of what you really need is interesting. You know, before we started this interview off air, you said you and I have a lot in common. I'm going to share something with you that we, that we haven't. I did the same exact thing that you did in fitness in tooth whitening. Back in the inception in 1989, when tooth whitening first started, it was horrible. They, they gave you a plastic bag with these Gunky syringes. You remember zero uh, 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 mimeograph? Yeah, I know. Yet it was like mimeograph instructions. And even then, in 1989, people were paying eight hundred dollars for this. Yeah, because they wanted white teeth. Right? I was one of them. I was one of them. Yeah, and my partner Robert and I said. We're going to glamorize this. We're going to make it look like a cosmetic. We went to all the big box department stores. We scoured the cosmetic departments. We came up with a kit that was beautiful. It looked like something you would see on a cosmetic counter with real models, not like our wife or some friend, but like we hired professional models and we revolutionized the whitening industry and grew the biggest brand. And that's what you guys did in fitness. So, what I want to ask you is this, you know, did you go to college and like study how to run a business or was this all on the job training that taught you how to do this? It was, I would say, you know what, business theory, I have a lot of friends that they don't have any practical hands-on experience. They have a lot of business theory. So I went to college, but I quit college my junior year. I quit my junior year and there was no plan B, but I knew, and for me, it's kind of funny. I was taking one student loan out after another and I felt like I was just digging this hole. And I remember my student loan debt at the time was like 12 grand bill. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I'm going to be a hundred before I pay this thing off. So I quit. I was studying business statistics and then, and then pursued my, the, you know, the, the, the racquetball and, and, and eventually had the opportunity to take over this club. But the, the business a lot of it is common sense and, and how you want to treat people. And that is such an important component. How do you want to show up every day? How do you want to make people feel? And in my club, even that club that I took over, imagine I took a club from losing $200,000 to within four or five years, it was making $250,000. And I did it purely by knowing the calling the members by name and, 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 sitting them down and saying, look, what are your wellness goals? Because everybody's goal is a little bit different. Just really getting, creating relationships with my clientele. And it's like the industry today. It's not about heavier weights and faster treadmills. It's about what kind of connection can you make? What kind of a community can you build within your four walls of your club? That's See, what- I, I love that because what, the, the two things that I 
hope kids walk out a leap with are these. Number one, don't wait for opportunities in life. Make them. You know, if I hear of another millennial kid who walks up to me, who's telling me that they're waiting for the universe to show them something, I want to just shake them and say, the universe is busy with Corona. Okay. (laughs) The universe doesn't care about you. You need to care about you. And number two, and this is what you did so beautifully. And, and, and I, I, I can't tell you how important this second step is when you get an opportunity, don't take it, master it. Right. But you did. And there's a huge difference. You got to master that opportunity. And you started off in this fitness space. You started to see all the things that, you know, that weren't working. And I think we could probably credit you for the first 24 seven fitness facility. Actually, you know where it's been. It was under our nose the whole time. It was in hotels, hotels, hotels. You brought it to the public. I, did, I brought it to the doorsteps of families around across the country initially, and but it was it was under our nose. So and that and that's the other thing I tell people: look, if you're going to be an innovator, you're going to do one of two things: either you're going to create a product, which is a lot of work if you're creating something that's brand new, or you're going to take a product that's already pre-existing. You're you're going to make it better. You're going to make it more relevant. And the second is 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 an easier path. It's still it's still a hell of a lot of work, Bill, but. It's, it's, it requires a little bit less capital and you've got to be right and you've got to believe in your bet. And that, that's, right. that's the most important thing. And I think for both you and I, I know growing up, I grew up from very humble, humble beginnings and there was no plan B for me. So failure for me was not a, was not a, an option. That th- this was the break. And I knew that when I started to clean the club and I started bartering to have, I, I, we didn't have any cash flow. Keep in mind, we we're losing 200 grand a year. Now, a lot of people would have said, hey, look, we're dead. We have no cash flow. We have no marketing dollars. We can't renovate. You need to be an innovative thinker. So what did I do? I went to the community. I went to the Florida Ceiling Store, which is a carpet store. And I said, look, I need carpet. I don't have any money, but I have memberships. And I was so surprised at the amount of people from, from carpet stores to painters to electricians to plumbers. And when I started renovating my club, I started in the lobby because you never get a second chance for a first impression. So I started in the lobby. So people started to smell fresh carpet and fresh paint. They go, look, you know what? This guy, and keep in mind, I was like, the, I was one of, the, I think I was the youngest employee of the company that I took over. I was like 21, 22 years old. And people were saying, look, I don't know who this young kid is, but he has got fire in his belly and he's making a difference. And the whole community rallied behind me. And that, that's awesome. Yeah. So when you, when you feel that momentum and you know that, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to actually do this. That is it. That you, as soon as you feel that momentum, you don't let go of it. You ride it like sea biscuit and you're not afraid to use the whip. All right. So let's back up. Okay. So, you know, you're, you're selling popcorn. You start playing racquetball. You start to develop this love for working out, being in the gym, fitness and whatnot. You manage a few clubs and then you started your business. Tell me how that started. So I, the the club that I originally had the opportunity with, I I did that for 20 years and I took that one club as soon as I had the, as soon as I had the note leverage down, I, I took out another loan and I opened another club. So I did that seven times. I did it for 20 years and then I sold that business. 
And it was after I sold the business that I took a step back, took a breather and said, what am I, what is my next thing going to be? And that's when about six, eight months later, I had the idea of what if I, what if I took, and the idea came from one of my employees who said, look, I don't like who you sold it to. Would you ever consider building another club? And I wasn't excited about building a club with pools and the full gamut. So I, I started thinking, I wonder what, would, what it would look like if I eliminated the swimming pool and child. Well, wait, they didn't make you sign a non-compete? No, because I owned it. I owned it. It was me. Yeah. yeah oh, no, I sold it. No, 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 no. Because I was That's a seller. I was crazy. Yeah. I, I couldn't do whitening for a long time. Like that yeah. was part of the sale. I'm crazy. That's crazy. They didn't make you sign a non-compete. Yeah. For me, all I promised and I gave them my word. I said, I would not open a club in the, in the communities where my, where my facilities were. So I all said, right. yeah, I'm not, and that's as far as I went with it. I said, look guys, do you want it or don't you? Cause I had a business that was thriving and making money. So it was, if I didn't sell it, it didn't matter to me. I was still making money. And all was of it. it a public sale? Yeah, I, I, I sold. No, I sold it in the private sector to just another. It was a strategic buyer that just wanted. And I had seven clubs. One of the buyers bought three of the clubs. The other one bought four. Easy. Wow. Yeah, easy. Um, so anyway, then so I, I took that those big clubs and I just started paring them down. I eliminated the racquetball courts, the the swimming pools, the child care. And before I knew it, I had this facility that was 3,500 to 5,000 square feet. And, and, and I said, look, I'm going to go to market, but I, I don't want to be just another me too. What can I be different? So I, I said, look, no contract, which I love. I love the idea, no contract. And I was telling the people, look, I'm going to earn your business, earn your trust every month. And if I don't deliver on my promise, it's really easy. You just quit. I'm not going to. You had one employee in each location, correct? Yeah, yeah one, one to two. Mm-hmm. Now, did all the locations have the same name? Yeah, they were all called. They were all called Snap Fitness. And when I started it, keep in mind when I originally started it, I called it America's 24 Hour Fitness. All right, and I, I built one in. Okay. <laughs> right, I built it in an urban market, and I, I sold enough memberships in 90 days, build a cash flow for the year. Wow. And, then, and then I built one in a mid-sized market. How much was the membership? They ranged about, they varied depending on the size market because the third club I built was in a small town, a little bit smaller budget. So there the membership was about $30 a month. In the urban market, I had to charge a little bit more. I charged about $40 a month. Now, so, if you bought one in one market, could you go into other SNAP fitnesses or totally, totally what you bought it for? It was reciprocal. But keep in mind when you have, you know, when you have 20 clubs spread across, you know, two or three states, you're not going to, there's going to be no reciprocation. You're not going to drive 200 miles to a club, but right. I always say, you know what, think, think small, be small. So I, I always, when I built this, I always built it with the understanding that this could potentially have thousands of locations. So that was my mindset from the beginning. Did I'll- you have somebody on the premise 24 seven or not? No, because I've gone to some of your clubs where there was nobody there. Yeah, they have typically today. The the clubs are going to be staffed from about five 35 in the morning until about eight o'clock at night. Typically. And it's going to be from personal trainers that are there as independent contractors and then actually the staff, but it's not there during the late night hours and whatnot. Just like, just like in the hotels, most of them are not staffed. So you're, there's not an assumed risk that you have with them. And actually, for us, with 165 million workouts, we've probably had a handful of incidences where, where somebody has, has, there's been a fatality in the club. But the fatality had nothing to do with 
they're working out. It had, it was just bad timing. No different than you can tip over from a heart attack in a grocery store. Right. You know, in fact, statistically, you're not going to have the heart attack while you're exercising. You're going to have it when you go home. Statistically. Okay. Good yeah. to know. And <laughs> today you have how many locations? Today, I've, I've got 6,000 locations spread across three brands in 20 years. And these are franchised, right? Yeah, these are franchise or licensed, meaning that they pay me a for they pay me a license fee every month for like a subscription. Uh, most of them are franchise locations where they pay me a royalty every month. So, this is one of the things that makes our Meet the Mentor podcast a little different than others. A lot of times, people will interview you and ask you, you know, about your business and but but what I really want to know is if I'm a 18, 19 year old student, and I'm sitting here watching you, Peter, and I say, I love that industry. I love what Peter did. Give me some steps, you know, things that, that I should be doing today, classes I should be taking, or, or, or different things that I should be doing to prepare myself to start a business like this. Because I, again, in, in the similarities between you and I, I'm an idea guy, I'm a dentist, I'm creative. When we started this business, I was not a finance guy. And I know you say that all the time. You aren't either. But we hired great finance people to do the finance part. I took it a step further. I went back to UCLA and I took business classes at night. So I would practice dentistry all day and then go to business school at night learning the business because I knew that that was an important part of the business. I never had to take business classes to be a dentist, which is a shame too. Yeah. So if you could kind of make a little roadmap for me that students could kind of file in the back of their brain and say, okay, if I want to go into this business or another business comparable, give me some steps of things that you feel are important. You know, that's a great question, Bill. And the first thing that I would tell you, and it sounds really cliche, but you have to find something that you're passionate about. And I'll tell you why. And Steve Jobs said it great. If you want to own your own business, you've got to be a little bit crazy. You've got to be a little bit crazy because the the time and the sacrifice and the commitment and the discipline and all those components that you're going to have to and and, and uh, sacrifice, all of that is it's it's prevalent in owning your own business. So find something that you love because that's going to get you through it. Number one. Number two, it's just you can't be afraid of failure. That failure is a dream killer, Bill. And and there's so many people that are afraid to fail. And I always tell people, if you're not failing, you're not trying hard enough. You're you know not, what, Peter? Perception is reality. I wanna I wanna tell you what I tell students to change their perception of failure. If I try to do something and it doesn't come out the way I want, that's not failure. That's practice. Absolutely. And- you actually don't ever have to fail in life because if every time something comes out a little bit different than the way you want it to, that's practice. You only fail when you quit. So exactly. if you don't quit, don't call it failure, call it practice. No, I love it. And it's and you got to practice a lot to be great. Exactly. Right? It all depends where you where you set the bar. And you know what? If you set the bar at your ankles, anyone can be an all-star. So you know what? Think big. Think right. big, dream big. That's so important. So getting back to your original question now, you know, where do I start? So it starts with a love of whatever that love is, number one. Number two, you can't, you can't 
you can't um, read yourself into success. Okay. Now you can learn tips. You can read some, there's some great business books out there of, of people that are going to give you some great mentoring ideas. I say, find somebody who's doing what you're doing. And even if you say, look, I would love to have the ability, the, the opportunity to come and work with you. I don't care if you don't pay me anything, right? Especially as a high school student where you've got the time and, and God willing, if you've got parents that are willing to support you through your dream and your dream being to learn, there's no better education than the education of hard knocks. Literally getting someone to tuck you under their wing and say, look, I'm going to, I'm going to show you just what this business is all about. And you're going to get a real life experience on the transparency of just what the sacrifice looks and feels like. Cause a lot of people, they don't understand it. Even when I have people that I, that I um, work and, and su- support with and consult with many of them, I'm surprised that they, the, the level of um, they're not prepared on their business strategy, meaning They've, they've thought of the business, but they haven't thought about what is the exit strategy. And for me, when I'm looking at a business, I think about, look, what is the, what's your process of starting the business? What's your plan of execution? How much financing are you going to need? What's that trajectory look like? And lastly, what's your exit strategy? Because if you're the business, if you're the business, what happens when you leave it? You don't have, you don't have something that's sellable. So you really limit yourself and, and I talk a lot about that on as an entrepreneur, when you start getting momentum, when is the time to sell a portion to take some chips off the table? It makes sense in my, in my business bill, or when I grew the company to about 5 million of EBITDA, I, I sold 40% of my company for about 47 million. So I traded at a 20 time multiple. So in five years, I built this company. It was valued at North of a hundred million. That was great. Now, why, why did I do that? Because because you were smart. You got it. There's too many entrepreneurs I see. They create a great business and then they ride it right into the dirt. Right. So I knew at that point with $47 million that fundamentally it was game over for me if I wanted to be. I don't roll that way. But So I sold 40%. Five years later, I grew that company from $5 million of EBITDA to 20 and I sold 16%. And my 16%, I got almost as much as I did for the 40 because I'd grown it exponentially. So wow. today, today I sit here and I, and I own, I own 44% of the company. I stepped down as the, as the CEO a year ago to pursue other things that I have passion for. You and I, we have a, we have a passion for the music space, which comes as no surprise because it's such a passionate industry with such passionate people. Um, I, have a, I own a, a luxury camp in the Serengeti. Why do I do that? Because it brings me joy and it brings me peace. So, and I love doing this type of thing, Bill. I love this. I love I love consulting entrepreneurs, young and old. And I, I tell you what, I do it for free, unless you're corporate America. If you're corporate America, I charge you a thousand an hour, but you make it out to my nonprofit. I donate a hundred percent of it to charity. So as far as making as far as making money, I'm done with that part of it. But as far as giving back, and you know, I'm a I'm I'm a I'm a strong believer. I'm, I'm a man of faith, and I say, look, you know what? You don't start where I did, and end up where I am right now with. With, with, with jets and yachts and homes and, and all these amazing things. You don't do that. At some point in time, you got to stop the music and say, thank you, God, for the beautiful life that you've given me. And what can I, what can I do for you? Because I make no mistake about it. For the first 50 years of my life, Bill, I was chasing money. I chased it like a dog, right? Yeah, that's awesome. You know, again, another thing that you and I have in common, he who gives receives the greatest gift. How about and, it? Um, you know, the, the fact that you give back is just so important. I think every entrepreneur 
owes that to society. I would love to have you come to LEAP and talk to the students. I think that they would really gain a lot from your experience and your wisdom. And so, well, this summer, maybe when we do our virtual program, we'll find a time for you to kind of tell your story and talk about it. It'd be really awesome. To yeah, I'd love to do it. I'd love to. That's my, that's my jam. That's what, that's what excites me now is just helping people. It, it brings me more joy to help people. And when, when I get letters and, and calls back from saying, hey, Peter, what you told me, it worked. And I, I am indebted to you. I love that. That, that brings that, me that's joy. what we do at LEAP. We change kids' lives. That's awesome. Okay, okay last thing. What's next? I'm getting behind me. I'm getting ready to launch a CBD oil company and uh, I'm going to be launching here in a couple of weeks. I've been putting it together for the last four or five months. And so that that's it. Aside from, you know, the other things that I do with real estate and my camp and, you know, I've, I've managed to be fairly diversified over the last 10, 15 years, 10 years of my life. So I, I have my hands on a lot of different things. Not a lot of it requires me to be hands on. The CBD oil business is going to be something I'm going to immerse myself in. But I will once I get it up and running and get the trajectory moving in the right direction, I'll stay at an arm's length. You and I alluded to it earlier. You know what? We're like we're like directors of a of a movie cast. We cast people in roles, right? right? And for me, I believe that I can find the right talent to bring the business to the promised land. And I think it's a big mistake as entrepreneurs is when we think we're the smartest one in the room all the time. You know, you got to, sometimes you got to, you got to lay the playing field out and, 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 and lay out the, articulate the goal and then sit back and listen. Yeah. Awesome. I can't thank you enough, Peter. That was amazing. I'm sure our students will love it. And I would love to have your participation in LEAP. And uh, with that, I'm going to close this up. Dr. Bill, over and out. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.